It's really good to see you. And um, we are going to keep working through the story of Genesis here. Um, I've been... I think I say this a lot, and it's always true, but this this series now, not the Romans one, which I said it before, but this one is just, I am just living in Joseph's story so much this week. I mean, these last few months that I've been working on this, so much so that you might remember last week we got together and we were looking at Joseph in Potiphar's house and that even though he was being really faithful, bad stuff was happening to him. And, and I was encouraging us to believe that God could bless us in any circumstance. And I'm just living this story so much so that my body decided that that Sunday night I needed to pass a kidney stone so that I could prove that God could bless you in any circumstance. And uh, by the mercy of the Lord, it only lasted half an hour, but it, it was a bad half an hour. Where And it's those moments where you're kind of like, do I mean what I just preached? And it's like, yeah, I think so, Lord. Um, but I also might need an ambulance. But by God's grace, it passed really quickly. The last time I had one of those, it, I think, took five days to get through or something like that. And I remember one of the nurses I had for the old kidney stone said, um, you know, I've given birth and passed the kidney stone, and the kidney stone is much worse. And I was like, well, you can say that, but guys aren't allowed to say stuff like that. That's like the one thing you don't touch when it comes to ladies in pain, but it, it's bad. But by God's grace, you know, he's with us. Long story short, I want to read um, chapter 40. And I want to take us through this chapter. And I'm calling this message Pit Work. And it's really about God being with us when, when nothing's changing. Okay, Walking with God and nothing's changing. That's what this chapter is about. So you can, if you have your Bibles with you, you can read through Genesis chapter 40 with me, or you can just listen along. These are the very words of God. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, and each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in the custody of his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams, and there was no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell me, please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. And as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, for 
and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand and he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Can you please pray with me? God, we we need you. Father, we need you. We can't know you without you. Father, you said that you've revealed yourself in your creation enough so that everyone should at least know that someone powerful and holy has made all of this. And yet, because of the sin in our hearts, Lord, we would rather give praise and honor and thanks to anything but the true God and usually just end up worshiping ourselves. And God, I don't want myself or anybody here to be robbed of knowing you truly. So would you please act? By the Holy Spirit, would you open up our minds and our hearts to hear the voice of God? And Father, I pray that we would be transformed. I pray your children would be encouraged and humbled. I pray, Lord, anybody who needs to know you in a saving way would be convicted and brought to salvation for your glory. And I pray in all these things we would worship you as God alone. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, so I just want to run through the story and and share with you how I understand it works and what's going on, and then make some applications. So you'll remember Joseph's story so far. It started in chapter 37, and Joseph's this young man, 17, and he's kind of the chief amongst the sons of Jacob, and they're a shepherding family, and even though Joseph's one of the youngest, um, he's this very gifted administrator and his father's favorite. And so his father puts him in charge of being the administrator over his brothers, and his brothers hate that. And not only that, but he begins to have these dreams where God is communicating to him and the entire family that Joseph is going to be elevated over them all. And his brothers respond, well, his whole family responds by getting offended, but his brothers respond by getting offended and then trying to do something about it and get trying to get Joseph killed. And they first just throw him in a pit and talk about how they're going to kill him over lunch, but then sell him into slavery instead. And Joseph is hauled off to Egypt. And in Egypt, he's bought by a man named Potiphar, who is the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And God is blessing Joseph in Egypt. And God is with him, so much so that Potiphar, this pagan, understands that there's something amazing going on in this young man's life. And he recognizes that at least some kind of God is with him to bless him. And so he exalts him over his house, and everything's going well for Potiphar and Joseph until Potiphar's wife um, gets her lust on for Potiphar, or for Joseph, and 
um, believes that because he's a slave, I guess that she has every right to do with him whatever she pleases. And because he resists her advances for the honor of God and her faithfulness to Potiphar, she eventually accuses him of attempted rape and gets him thrown in prison by Potiphar. And in this prison, God again is with Joseph. And the signs of God's favor and blessing are visible for everyone to see so that the person who's in charge of the prison puts Joseph in charge of the prison so that Joseph is now in charge of everything. And that's where this story starts. And in verse 1 it says, Sometime after this, and it could be a while. As far as I understand the timeline of Joseph's life here, it starts when he's 17. Okay? I'm not good at math. But work with me here. When Joseph is eventually hired by Pharaoh to be in charge of Egypt, he's 30. So there's 13 years between the beginning of the story and Joseph being in charge of Pharaoh's house. And it says in the next chapter, after the cupbearer forgets about Joseph, is two years before Pharaoh has his dreams. So Joseph is around 28 at this time. And the thing we don't totally know, as far as I understand it, is how much of that time, which is roughly 10 years between his enslavement and between the dreams happening here, how much time is split between Potiphar's house and between the prison. But the prison's the one where it says sometime later. So Joseph could have been in prison for years by the time this happens. Just working. Just, just working. Taking care of other people's prisoners doing his job. But it's likely quite a long time. Ten years, roughly, in Potiphar's house and prison. And it says some time after this is when the cupbearer and the baker come. Now, we're not used to this stuff, but, you know, people in the old days, when they were kings or pharaohs, and pharaoh was just the Egyptian word for king, they would have their kind of people around them who were their confidants and their their go-to people and the people who were uh, near royalty, and they would have these interesting jobs. And so when you hear about a cupbearer, it is the person who would hold Pharaoh's drink. It's like, you hold my beer. You know, it was that guy, the hold my beer guy. But that was actually like a royal position. So he'd be a counselor, a military advisor, lots of different roles. And it would also be kind of like a bodyguard because this person would be in charge of everything that Pharaoh drank. And if you wanted to kill Pharaoh, all you had to do was poison his drink and there you go. And so his job was to keep Pharaoh from being assassinated by his drink. And so Pharaoh's life was in the cupbearer's hand. And cupbearers were really important people. You might remember um, in the story of Hezekiah, uh, I think it's the king of Assyria, sends someone to go and conquer Jerusalem. And the person in charge of the king of Assyria's army that's trying to conquer Jerusalem is the cupbearer. Okay, so that's the kind of position we're dealing with. The Assyrian king's cupbearer led his army to go and destroy Jerusalem. So it's it's not just the Pepsi delivery guy here, you know. Or you could almost say McDonald's, except now you get your own fountain drink. You get to be your own cupbearer. I'll give you the cup, and you just unlimited, which is a good thing. Except that it's Pepsi or Coke, which isn't that great. Anyhow. The cupbearer is a royal, important position. Same with the baker for the same reason. The baker would have been charged in charge of most of the food that Pharaoh would have eaten and all his entourage. And again, if you wanted to kill Pharaoh, all you had to do was poison his bread 
and he's dead. And so the, the baker was also somebody who kept Pharaoh's life. And so they commit some kind of offense. In the Hebrew, it says a sin. And Pharaoh's mad at them, and so he throws them into the royal prison. And this is where it's interesting to me. It doesn't quite hit you over the head with it, but it sound, I think there's something interesting going on. So Pharaoh gives the cupbearer and the baker into the custody of the captain of the guard. Okay, last time we met uh, Pharaoh's captain of the guard, who was it? Potiphar. Okay, so as I understand the story, probably the cupbearer and the baker, they did something bad, and Pharaoh gives them to Potiphar to be imprisoned until Pharaoh decides what to do with them. And what does probably Potiphar do with these two guys? He gives them to Joseph. And so if you're with us last Sunday, I was trying to say, I don't think Potiphar thought that Joseph was actually trying to do shenanigans with his wife. Because if he did, he would have killed him. And here's more evidence that Potiphar probably didn't believe Joseph did anything wrong. Because it looks like Potiphar puts Joseph in the royal prison. And then when two of Potiphar's buddies, because Potiphar was in that inner circle with Pharaoh. And he knows the cupbearer and he knows the baker. When these guys are now going into the clink, he gives them to Joseph for Joseph to take care of them. So he's still thinking highly of Joseph. That's how I understand the story going on here. And I wonder, and I don't totally know, but I wonder if this is some kind of plan of Potiphar's to try to rescue Joseph. Ah, okay, I had to put Joseph in prison because my wife accused him, and you can never side with the slaves. You can just never side with the slaves. It's like to to kill a mockingbird. You can't side with the slaves. And so he had to go to prison, but if I send some of my buddies to Joseph, and Joseph takes care of them, if one of them comes free, maybe they can do Joseph the favor. I wonder if this is what Potiphar's thinking. You know, I had to put Joseph in jail, but maybe through some backdoor stuff, I can get Joseph out of jail by getting Joseph to do a good favor to these guys that probably will get out of jail someday and be like, well, remember that prison keeper who was innocent, who took care of me? Maybe I'll do him a favor and mention him to Pharaoh, which is exactly what Joseph asks for later on. Does that make sense? So I wonder if that's part of the deal of what's going on here and why the Bible takes the time to say the captain of the guard entrusted them to Joseph so that he would attend them. There's the scenario. And it says they continued for some time in custody. Again, probably meaning more than a night. It could be weeks, could be months, could be longer than that. Then they both have dreams. So here comes this theme of dreams again. God is going to steer the course of history through dreams, giving promises and interpretations. And so they have these two dreams. The cupbearer has his dream. The baker has his dream. And... What's interesting to me is that um, Joseph asks them how they're doing, and they, they say, well, we've had these dreams and don't know what to do with them. They're anticipating that their dreams were significant enough that it meant something, that it wasn't just a pizza dream. You know, I dreamt that I was flying around and landed into a molten lake of gold. Yeah, you, and then the, my, my grandmother showed up. And, what, what? That, what? It wasn't just a mess. And then I turned into a couch. Uh, you know, they, it was that kind of dream where they're like, this seems really important to me. And so Joseph's response is, Don't, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me. So here he is going, oh, well, maybe God can help you. And expecting that he will. 
And they tell of these two dreams, one of them um, pretty straightforward. There's this cluster and the grapes and the three grapes, and he puts the cup back into Pharaoh's hand. And if you think about it, you know, the interpretation is pretty clear, except for the three grapes equals three days thing. That's a little bit unique. But he has a dream that he's going to be giving Pharaoh his cup back. And so Joseph gives him this good interpretation as well as a request. And this is what the one time in the story that we hear Joseph's perspective on his own life. Um, he knows he's been wronged. And so he says, would you please speak to Pharaoh about my condition because I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and I didn't do anything to belong to be in here. And so he's using this moment talking to a royal official to say, hey, if you get out of here, can you remember me and act because I'm in here wrongly. So Joseph knows that that he's being wronged in life. He's not pulling a Pollyanna. He's not in there playing the glad game and trying to mentally dissociate what's actually happening in his life. He's being honest. He's being realistic. No, I was, I was robbed of my homeland, and I'm innocent in this pit. And then when the chief baker sees it, he also is expecting to hear good news. So he shares about the basket and the birds eating out of it. And some people say, you know, the fact that the baker was letting the birds eat out of Pharaoh's bread basket is probably a sign that he wasn't being the most faithful baker. And maybe he wasn't being faithful to Pharaoh in his baking because that's not what bakers are supposed to do, is walk around letting birds eat the food that you baked for your master. And so that might be a sign that he actually wasn't doing a good job. And so Joseph interprets it and says, yes, you too will have your head lifted up off of you and you'll be hung on a tree. And I don't know how they hung people back in the day. It might have been a rope. In the, uh, for the Babylonians and Assyrians, they would actually just sharpen a stick and just put people on top of it. And that's how they hung them. But who knows? Either way, not good. And then the story ends by saying exactly Joseph's interpretations that he gave these guys, that God gave them dreams and Joseph gave them interpretations. And that's exactly what happened in three days. It was Pharaoh's birthday and he had a feast. And so he um, had mercy on the cupbearer or restored him to his position and the baker um, did not receive mercy. And then the story ends with, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Ouch. Okay. Joseph is in a time of pit work. He's in a time where he's serving the Lord really faithfully and nothing's changing. So how do I know he's serving the Lord faithfully? Number one, things are still going really well so that Potiphar, who knows what's going on in the prison, it's his prison. He knows how things are running in the prison and trusts his peers to Joseph to take care of them. So he knows that Joseph's still being faithful. He knows that Joseph's still blessed. He knows that Joseph's God is still with him. And so when his buddies are going to the clink, he doesn't just throw them in, um, you know, cell block D with all the commoners to get shivved in the back because half of those guys probably got the other half of the other guys put in jail. It's like sending the cops to jail. You, 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 you know, solitary them. Joseph's in charge of these guys. So Joseph's still being faithful in his career. 
And we also know that Joseph is still walking in faith. I'm sorry, before I get that, I'm going to get there. Um, Joseph still cares about other people. Okay? This is a shocker, right? When people have been wronged a lot, what's one of the first things that happens? Your world gets as small as your pain. That's usually what happens. When you've been wronged a lot and you know your grievances, your world becomes just as small as your pain. Amen? And that's all that you see the entire world through what's happened to you and how you're suffering and all this stuff. But the Bible says that these guys have these two bad dreams and Joseph's going about his, his, his work here and he sees that they're troubled. He sees that they're mopier than usual. Right? They're probably already pretty mopey because, you know, I used to be the cupbearer, but now I'm doing a, you know, nine to five in the clink and, you know, and if I want somebody killed, I have to pay somebody else to do it. You know, they're just like mafia dons in there. But now they're, they're extra sad in the morning and he notices, number one, which is a good sign. And then he asks them about it. Why are your faces downcast today? So this is a good sign that Joseph's still walking with the Lord. Because even though he's got it worse than these guys, faux show, he cares about them. He notices they're not doing well, and he cares enough to ask. Number three, he's still walking by faith. So they say, we've had these dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. So they talked about it, and they feel very confused about the details. And he says to them, does not interpretations belong to God? He has so much faith that he's assuming that his God is talking to them, even though they're not believers. He, sees, he believes his God is ruling the world so that even these pagan idolater Egyptians are having these dreams that disturb them. He says, well, you know, my God is the one who sends dreams, and my God is the one who interprets dreams, so why don't you tell me your dreams, and my God will help you. So just think of his faith levels right there. Okay, he's, he's in prison, he's wronged, he's got all this stuff, and he cares about his inmate that he's taking care of. And when they have a problem, he's like, well, my God's big enough for this, so why don't, why, don't, why don't we talk about it? And they share their two dreams. And then he helps them and asks for help and is ignored. Okay. So Joseph's being totally faithful and nothing changed. Right? And this is the point in the movie where Joseph gets angry and he plots his escape and then he like busts out and John wicks all these guys. I've never seen that movie, I'm never going to, but I know what it's all about. But this is the point in the movie where, he, where the, the straw breaks the camel's back, right? And he pulls out all those toothbrushes he's been sharpening all those months. And because he's in charge of the place, he, he does the great escape on this thing, because he can, he can totally set up his own escape. He's in charge here. It says in the last chapter that the guy in charge of the prison didn't even care about the prison anymore. He's gone on permanent vacation. I'll be back next week, which means I'll be back next week, which means whatever week you ask me when I'll be back, I'll be back next week. That's where he's living, right? So Joseph could bust out, and then he's going to go get his revenge on all these people who forsook him. And then he's going to steal out of Egypt with the head of Pharaoh in a basket. And he's going to go back home and he's going to Gatling gun his brothers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, then, and we're all going to 
if you're not going to pay money, go watch it in the theaters because you got your Netflix for $13.99 a month, but you're going to wait for that movie to come on Netflix. And we're going to cheer. Yeah! Get those guys! Right? No. Because that's, that's not the right story. Joseph's story, he's in pit work. It's his time to be faithful to the Lord and nothing to change. We all get pit work. Where the reward for serving the Lord is that you got to serve the Lord. Christian, we all get pit work. Where the reward for walking with God is that you walked with God. And the reward for obeying God is that you obeyed God. And the reward for having faith in God is that you had faith in God. And that's it. Amen? It's pit work. Why? Because the alternative is what we like. Where we have this life, where we're getting about 85% of the stuff we want, but there's that 15% missing. And then we get saved, and then we meet the God of the universe, and it's his job to get us that last 15% so that we can get the life that's 100% what we want. And sometimes he gets it for us, and we let him know how, what a bad job he's doing. And sometimes he, gets, he does okay, and we let him know what a good job he's doing. But his job is to get us what we want. Right? Anybody? Somebody? Uh, you guys were here at the last message, so you're shaking your heads already. If this message sounds like some previous messages, it's supposed to. Because for Joseph, it's happening again. He's already been wronged two times. And the cupbearer forgetting him is number three. This is his hat trick of getting wronged. First, his brothers betrayed him and sold him into slavery. Second, Potiphar's wife betrayed him and lied about him about the assault. And number three, the cupbearer is having such a great time that he forgets God. Just like regular people do. The cupbearer's finally got everything he wanted. He's back with Pharaoh. He's rocking. He's socking. He's got the cup. He's taking little sips when Pharaoh's not looking. He's doing the whole thing. He's back in the royal household. He's got his servants again. And he's got his wife again. He's got his kids again. Everything's so great. Who needs to remember God? Because I got everything I want again. Right? Somebody? Anybody? And we think the point of pit time is to go through suffering and to have hard times so you can endure it and go back to having everything you ever wanted again so you can forget all about God. Amen? No. Pit time is about learning that God is all you need and all the reward you could ever want. That's what pit time is for. Because God loves us, but he hates being used. Just like we do. Don't you hate to get used? Don't you hate to get ignored? Don't you hate to have like to, to, to work hard for something and never get a thank you? Don't we hate that stuff? That is one area where we still reflect the image of God. And so God's got Joseph in this pit so that Joseph can have that time going, I've been wronged, and I've been wronged, and I'm serving the Lord, 
and nothing's changing. And he's, he's getting worn down and ground down so that every day when he wakes up, his life is, I'm just waking up to serve the Lord. And then the next day, I'm just waking up to serve the Lord. And the next day, I'm just waking up to serve the Lord. And then maybe have those moments, I don't know if he did, but this is very human, where you have those moments where you're like, God, I've done a whole month of waking up to serve the Lord and nothing's changed. Can it change now? Please? Please? Like, how much longer do I have to do this being content with you without things changing until you're ready to change things so that I don't have to be content with just you when things aren't changing? Two months? Four months? Well, five months, that's a long time. Two whole years? That's too long. Not worth it. Maybe. It's just like this, just grinding the face and the sparks flying off. I just this picture of the wheel going around and the holding Joseph against the grindstone and the sparks of selfishness and the sparks of accomplishing things. Joseph is the most capable man in the universe right now and he can't get it done. What he really wants, which is to go home, see his dad. Wouldn't that just kill you? Everywhere I go, I'm, I'm put in charge of everything and God blesses it. First, it's Potiphar's house, and then it's Potiphar's job, and next is going to be all of Egypt. I can do anything I want to, except what I want, is, which is to go home. Wouldn't it drive you crazy? That's what pit work is about. It's about getting rid of that thing that gets dr- driven crazy. When God is with you, and you're with God, but you're, you, it's not okay. And look, I'm not saying that Joseph didn't have feelings or didn't care about things. We hear from his own mouth, he's like, I don't deserve to be here, either in the pit or even in Egypt. I want to go home. That's his heart. And at the same time, he's serving the Lord. And he'll be content and faithful because he's got God. Does that make sense? This is pit work. And it's so good for us. So good for us. Because our human nature and our sinful hearts is always to just have a what have you done for me lately, God, attitude. And it robs us. Okay. One of the benefits of pit work, I'm saying Joseph's in the midst of it. He's actually pretty far ahead in this thing. One of the benefits of pit work and being brought to a place where you realize your whole life is just about the glory of God is that it really liberates us from things like fear of man. Anybody here ever struggle with that, what other people think about us? Any, no, just me? Imagine you're Joseph. There's the baker. He runs up to you. He's heard that there's good interpretations for dreams to be had. And he's like, I want to tell you my dream too, so that you can give me what I want, which is tell me I'm going to get out of here in three days. This is my dream. Yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. And Joseph's response is this. Yeah, you'll get your head lifted up all right on a stick because you're going to die in three days. Here's breakfast. Anybody here have the stone cold, I'm just serving the Lord here, 
contentment to tell somebody that they're going to die in three days by the word of the Lord. Wouldn't you be worried about how they're going to react? Wouldn't you want to manipulate it somehow? Well, I'm not sure that picture's quite as encouraging as other people's dreams, but you know, if I were you, why don't we pray? You might not want to stop for like 72 hours. Right? There is something huge going on here in this story. Pit work makes us love the truth of God's word no matter what. Because if all that matters to you is God and he's speaking, then all that matters to you is what God's saying. And you're not here to make the cupbearer happy. You're not here to make the baker sad. You're here to be faithful to the God who's faithful to you, who created all things and has every right to make the cupbearer the cupbearer again and every right to make the baker come to judgment, which is what would have happened at his death. This is God's world. He, he does have every right about everything. However long we live, he has every right. Whether we're going to have success or failure, he has every right. Whether or not I'm going to pass a kidney stone tonight, and I will tell you I had some sensations while I was sitting there that made it sure feel like it might. He has every right to make his word exactly what he wanted it to be. He had every right to tell people how to live in his word. He had every right to say that men and women have different callings in some ways. He had every right to define what is holy and good and to define what is sin and wrong, he has every right. He has all the rights. He's God. And what I'm trying to say is that pit work, where God grinds away from us our selfishness and our manipulation and our wanting to get people to be like the way we want them to be so that we can get what we want out of our lives, that all gets ground away. By pit work, by only having God, by having things not change when we've been faithful and realizing I'm either going to love God or this isn't going to work. I'm either going to love God's word or this isn't going to work because I can't make things change. So I'm either going to find my joy in the Lord or this isn't going to work. I'm going to find my strength in God while things don't change or this isn't going to work. I'm going to either evaluate God by what he has done for me and who he is or this isn't going to work. That's what pit work does. Amen? Okay. One more thought from your crazy pastor. Joseph was wronged by his brothers and wronged by Potiphar's wife for different reasons. If God had taken Joseph as a 17-year-old and made him the king of the world, do you think it's possible Joseph might have grown up just to kill people he didn't like and to treat slaves like his sex objects all the time? Do you think that's possible? That's actually what happens. I'm a big history of the Roman Empire buff, and there's, there's two kinds of emperors. There's like good ones who don't destroy the entire empire and um, just go on murdering, raping sprees all the time. And then there's the bad ones that did live like that. 
you know what the big difference usually was? When they became emperor. If they became emperor in their teens, it was a monstrous gong show. If they became emperors in like their 40s after they'd survived a few wars and been stabbed a few times, they were usually okay. Sometimes. These years of pit work were actually saving Joseph from becoming a monster when God elevated him to being king of the world. These 13 years of betrayal and slavery and being faithful with nothing happening, good, nothing, at least what he wanted to. I mean, God's goodness is all around Joseph. Every time he's like, this is the best run prison in town. God's faithfulness is all around him, but not getting what he wanted made it possible so that when Joseph's brother showed up all these years later looking for food, Joseph didn't just say, I want to introduce you to a prison. I want to introduce you to a bunch of people who are going to violate you for a few months, and then they're going to kill you. Because this is my world. And I'm the prince of Egypt. This pit work, where it's like, this is going to be about God, or it's not going to be anything. This is going to be about God, or it's not going to be anything. This is going to be about God, or it's not going to be anything. Joseph could be a prisoner. He could be a prince of Egypt. This is going to be about God, or it's not going to be about anything. That's what pit work did for Joseph. Right? So much so, I'll, I'll jump ahead a little bit here, that by the time Joseph gets out of prison and is brought before Pharaoh... He has the exact same answer to Pharaoh in his glory that he had to these guys in his prisons. Pharaoh's like, I need someone to interpret these dreams. And, and Joseph's just like, well, God gives the interpretation. Why don't you tell it to me? And even when Pharaoh, and he even tells Pharaoh. And so if you're smart, you know, you had these dreams that this, these, this famine is coming after these years of, of plenty. If you're smart, you would just find somebody who's really good at gathering grain to take care of Egypt. He doesn't even ask for anything. He's brought before Pharaoh, the guy who can set him free and send him home. And he's like, well, this is the interpretation of the dreams that God's giving you. And If you're smart, you'd, you'd, you'd hire somebody to take care of this stuff. And Joseph's, Joseph's done. He's just ready to be whatever God wants him to be today. And he's going to be faithful because God is his reward. And he still has his desires. They're still there. But God is his reward. Amen? All right. So you thought I was already, you know, going too deep with my popping the blackheads of our souls, squeezing too hard already, but let's go a little bit farther down. Um, we're in pit work. We've had pit work. We're going to have pit work again. I am all for God intervening. I am all for the breakthroughs. I am all for the miracles. But I I know enough about church history to know that we regularly waste God's kindnesses by thinking it's all about us. We regularly waste God's miraculous moves of the Spirit by becoming inward and self-focused and then trying to bottle it up in books and videos and trying to make some money off it. We regularly do that. And it's often God's mercy just to not do too much crazy stuff with us if we're not ready to live like it's all about God's glory. Amen? Like when we move next door, um, God is going to give us so much frustration 
and so many setbacks. He's going to make it such a pit work experience that by the time we get there, we'll just say, you know what, this is either about the Lord or it's nothing. Because it, it, all this has done is expose our weaknesses. Amen? Anybody feel that? I know there's some team members in the room. Is it just about the Lord yet? Amen. Is it just frustrating enough or slow enough or crazy enough or out of control enough where it's like it's either going to be you or it's going to be nothing, Lord? What about family life? It could just be me, but it seems like in parenting and and marriage, we have very high expectations of the Lord to change things as soon as we begin to think about obeying him. Right? God, I was patient once with my kids. How come they're not changed? Anybody? Is it just me? Don't nod nod too hard, because you might get a pastoral visit later, right? Just kidding. God, I was self-sacrificial with my wife one time, like, or all week I've laid down my life. How come everything's not just the way I wanted it to be? And I think about these times where we say, we like get before people and make these covenants and say, I'm going to be united to you in, in health or sickness, you know, richer or poorer. Or we take our kids before the church and we offer them up to the Lord and we say, I dedicate this child to you. And, I, and I've been wondering all week if sometimes the Lord's response is, I, I accept that you want your spouse to be a worshiper of the Lord and to bring me glory and praise me. And I accept that you want my, your children to praise me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give them a godly person who has been through a lot of pit work. I want to bless them by giving them somebody who doesn't care about anything but me and my glory. And so here's trouble. Here's illnesses that aren't going away. Here's behavior trouble that isn't quickly fixed. Here's, here's just trouble. Because I want to give you each other caring way more about my glory than about what you get from each other. Like that's, that's marriage nowadays, right? I want to find somebody who is as obsessed with making me happy as I am obsessed with making me happy. And then you go like this because it turns out you're both on the same page where you're expecting the other person to be making you happy and right anybody somebody was it just me stuck that one in there walking in the light (laughs) and the kids come out and they're so cute and beautiful and you're like now that i have you you you're gonna make me feel like a great parent And then these little cupbearers grow up and they go into Pharaoh's court and they forget all about us. <laughs> and we joke, but it's because we forget that the whole point of marriage is to glorify God. No matter whether things change or not. And that's not them, that's me. And the whole point of parenting is to glorify God, whether they change or not. And the whole point of being a kid is to glorify God, whether or not they change. And it's all pit work, because if we don't get pit work, we are the enemies of God in in this world. Somebody? 
We, we need pit work. We need opportunities just to serve and obey God and have nothing change except this time we served and obeyed God. And that is a treasure and a reward worth praising the Lord about. Somebody? And I look, I'm wimpier than most of you. So I do this worse than everybody. I know. There's that verse in Isaiah about like a child to lead you. Thank you. It is a funny thought to think that you could be somebody else's pit work. But I will let you think that for a while while I drink this. <laughs> what is the good news? <clears throat> this is the good news. Like Joseph, we are people 100% under the gaze of a good God. And through Jesus Christ, we know that God has forgiven us of our sins and is for us. And that his will towards us is a good and perfect will. And that in Jesus Christ, all things work together for our good. And that these light and momentary troubles are earning for us a weight of glory that far surpasses them all. The amazing thing about this story is that Joseph did it even though he had no Bible, no Jesus, and no Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have the knowledge of Jesus raised from the dead. Our brother and the lover of our souls is right now sitting on the throne with the holes in his wrists and hands that he received to secure our forgiveness and prove his love and has put his spirit into us, which is the spirit of endurance. It's the same spirit that enabled Jesus to go to the cross, despising its shame for the joy set before him to endure the suffering. That same spirit lives in us so that nobody actually needs to do any print work by their own strength, we have all the hope. We just need a renewed mind that looks at the junk and says, yes, and doesn't forget that God is good in it and that he's for us and that he loves us. That like Greg said, quoting somebody, you get to wake up in the morning into a world of pure forgiveness and 100% goodwill towards you, filled by the spirit of the prophets. And you get to do whatever it is you do, whether it's just like mowing the lawn or something that you enjoy more than that. You get to do it. Amen. And there's all kinds of hurt. But in the insanity of the gospel, we get to hurt with Christ. We get to suffer in our relationships. We get to be mistreated for God's glory. This is the insanity. And there are places in the world they get this, but we're slow to get this. This is get to. Not have to. What? I know, I'm painting the bullseye on my kidney stones again. (laughs) This is get to. And you know what? Some of us are in pit work 
where God is prepping us for amazing promotion. Some of us are in that place. Some of us are in pit work where you just get to have a deeper walk with God and a deeper walk with God and a deeper walk with God and then you go to his throne for praise. So I I don't have faith to tell everybody, endure for a few more days, then you'll get to be the prince of Egypt, right? There aren't enough Egypts to go around for all of us to be the prince of Egypt. You hear me? You know what I'm talking about? Like, not every, this isn't every person's story in the details. What if you getting set free from this thing that really bugs you, whether it's a healing or whatever, means that you'll be miserable because you won't have as much Jesus as you could? What if the pit work not changing means that you will be happier and more content because he is pulling away and scratching away all these things that we imagine are more important than Christ or more satisfying than his love? Say what, what? Hallelujah, anybody? Okay. Okay, going off notes, young people, I know this is going, I'm going, but I'm trying to save your life right now. Hear me today. Let let me put my Joseph on a little bit. If we don't figure out that God is, and living for his glory is more important than getting what we want, you could go to hell. Like being impaled so that birds eat your skin is nothing compared to going into the presence of God and him saying, I never knew you, you hate me, and now I will subject you to everlasting punishment without me. That can happen to you and me if we don't get this. That the glory of God and Jesus Christ is better than what Satan offers us in this life. I'm trying to save your life. And even if you're a Christian and you go to heaven, you can go to heaven with almost no reward. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you can be saved like by the skin of your teeth with no huge reward because you think church is all about you instead of about the glory of Jesus Christ and that the sufferings of life are get-tos instead of have-tos. We're not here to manipulate people and manipulate things and lie and steal and conceive and deceive and guilt trip and hide and buy to try to get the best life we can get now because we think Jesus is okay, but end game. 